0: Hey, thanks so much for being here and tuning into another episode on the Rivley Podcast. I'm your host and founder of Rivley, Sasha Rowe. Today's episode is with Dr. Sohee Jun. As a top leadership coach, keynote speaker, leadership development expert, and Amazon best selling author, Sohee works with emerging leaders and executives to unleash their untapped power for themselves and their teams. During her 20 plus years in the corporate world, she has helped leaders transform themselves from frustrated executives to insightful, impactful, and inspired leaders who are engaging employees in exciting new ways and driving their organizations to great success. So he works with world-renowned Fortune 500 companies in entertainment, production and media, startups, gaming, financial services, and engineering helping high-performing leaders, emerging leaders, and executive teams identify and strategically capitalize upon moments of shift and challenge as opportunities for powerful growth and change. So he and I had a beautifully deep and open conversation about her journey and her why, about motherhood and entrepreneurship, about intuition, what it means to be authentic in a digital world, and more. You know those conversations you have with people that just leave you filled with energy and in a really good mood? Well, that was absolutely my experience recording this episode with Sohi, and my hope is that you are left with the same feeling after listening. So thanks for tuning in. Here's Sohi. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Rivley Podcast where our goal is to inspire and encourage you to thrive in your life. And that means both in your personal and professional life. And we're doing this through conversations with entrepreneurs and business professionals from all over the world. Hi, Sophie. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. And I'm really, really excited to see where this conversation goes. How are you today?
1: (laughs) I'm doing really well today. Thank you for having me. Um, I feel like we already started before we started recording. So um, (laughs) I know this is going to be very dynamic.
0: I think so too. Well, just to catch everybody up, we were just talking about front-end perfectionism and how that really affects the workday. And if you haven't heard of front-end perfectionism before, it is when you have a project or something coming up and you don't feel like you have the specific parameters that you need to start that project. So it's gonna take you three to four hours. If you only have two, you start experiencing a lot of resistance toward even starting it. And that's something that I've experienced Um, and just naming it has been a huge help in moving forward and being able to start projects that I otherwise would feel like was too much at the time. So yeah. have you ever experienced something like that?
1: Um, well, the reason why I'm so curious that there's a name to it is that I feel like I have a little bit of that. <laughs> and it's interesting because the clients that I work with, I I think there's some degree to that in many of us, um, especially women. And um, I'm just getting curious as to like, when have I let that lead and um, how has it slowed me down? So just really interesting one, that there's a name to it. And I definitely can um, relate, especially when it's like really big projects that feel very important. I think (laughs) I'm like, wait, why am I waiting till what am I waiting for? It's like this, even with the work I do on mindset and all the stuff that I teach and coach, it's still, you know, there's still blockers. So I'm on a continuous journey of development myself.
0: Yeah, I feel like I get it the most when it's tax season. <laughs>
1: Perhaps because you don't want to do it.
0: <laughs> I think, yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's more of the not wanting to do it and then needing the time, like knowing if it's financially related, I'm going to need a lot of time to dig through files and paperwork and get everything together too.
1: You know, I think that for that, that rings true, not the tax step, but it's what we talked about, about knowing yourself, you know, um, I think there's a sense of like knowing yourself and like, if you have this habit of, um, repetitive pattern, like naming it helps somebody move forward, like you and the front end procrastinate, front end perfection. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, for me, it's around, like, I like to collaborate. And so when I have somebody to collaborate with, I'll show up, I'll do it on time. But I find that when it's just stuff that I'm doing, whether, you know, whatever that is, I tend to just like put it aside. So that's what I'm noticing.
0: I notice the same thing. I feel like collaboration, especially in a virtual world, um, there's also something called body doubling that I recently learned about on our one of our previous podcasts with an ADHD coach. And that's when you just have somebody with you in the room and it's easier to be productive Mm -hmm. It, it is and i think that's a lot of what happens when we're in an office with other people it's just easier to focus on the task at hand and what you you need to be doing instead of all the other things rolling around in our heads all the time and i don't know if that's just with women or not but i've noticed that too if we can get on a co-working session and just open zoom for an hour and be like, hey, we're gonna get some stuff done right now. That hour, it's like it's almost like a power hour. Oh yeah, that is a very great way to like make it work
1: virtually. And I think that's why people go to coffee shops when they work from home. It's like, there is something to that of collective energy where it makes you focus. Like, I think just as humans, we need some guardrails. Like you can't just be willy nilly with everything. Um, And and as much discipline as I have, um, I know that I do feel
0: a more like
1: focused when I'm around people too.
0: I do too. Yeah. Now, okay. Let's, if you don't mind, can we jump into your origin story just real quick so our listeners know where you're coming from? (laughs) I never know how far to go back with my origin story though, Sasha. <laughs> like I can go way back or like, <laughs> I found this or what? Let's start with your why. I always like talking about your why. Like why did you choose a profession that you did? What's your reason? Why are you passionate about it? What keeps you driven every day?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this goes back to a big um, crossroads in my life uh, when I entered college and you know, it ties to my deep origins of being a South Korean immigrant. You know, I came to the states when I was six years old, and with that came a lot of expectations of you know how one succeeds and the immigrant story. Where yes, my both my parents worked many jobs at once, and you know, latchkey kid. And I think many of us were back in the '80s and '70s when we grew up. That was kind of the norm. Um, and then I had that to the extreme where you know they were always working so with that came this unsaid and sometimes said like you you got to be on a certain track do well in school and I think it was all very well meaning and when it was time to go to college and pick a major where you know everyone is supposed to pick the thing which I think is just a um, kind of a a paradigm that we need to just do away with anyway. Like oh, college I should completely be completely agree. <laughs> right? Like, let's use that time to explore and let be the beginning of a journey.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but they make it back in those, my time any anyway, very finite. So I chose pre-med, um, but somehow with the lens of psychology, because the underpinning of my life has been an innate curiosity about people and our inner workings. And I have a deep well of inner inner stuff that's very layered. And that was fascinating to me just as I was getting to know myself. And then just an outward fascination with people and why they do things. So I was um, majoring in psychology with the uh, like a um, science bent. So I took all the science courses. Come my junior year, I was just like, man, you know, I did the O chem physics. I was going that track. And I just, I was like, gosh, it just felt more and more. I just felt myself pushing ag- up against it. Mm-hmm. And I got really, I just, it was time to get really curious and go, why? Like, why is it that I'm just, one, I'm failing at these science courses. So that's just not something I want to do and like, make it hard on myself. Let's just make things easy. You know, like I, I start to learn that. Why does it have to be this hard? And then secondarily, I was like, no, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in this psychology uh, field. And so I, I really had to get pull my big pants and put my big girl pants on and tell my parents who were sending me to college with all of their hard earned money that no, I didn't want to be a medical doctor, that I wanted to enter into this profession at the time known as organizational psychology, which they were like, huh? There was like no way to explain it back. It, it, even in Korean, they're like, I don't understand what you're trying to do. And so that was my first, really a formative time of taking a risk and a bet on myself and 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 following my intuition which have times been stronger than others and um that was when i chose this field of organizational psychology because i took a class in psychology where it was like talking about the world of work and blending psychology and when i took that course sasha i was like this is it i like lit up And you know, when you have those moments where you're just like, oh my God, this is it.
0: Absolutely. It's like a full body. Yes.
1: Yeah. 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 I was like fully in, I was like, what this professor is fascinating. And he's talking about psychology and business and all of these ways that you can really help people make work just more productive and enjoyable in a humanistic way. Right. So I followed it. I probably like you know harassed my professor to be like tell me all about this. What do I do? Where can I go? And found my way through a graduate program to get my PhD in in the field that I'm in now. And so that's the origin story of why. Um, however, layered onto that is you know my in the past six years owning my own firm, and you know really specializing in working with highly successful women and emerging leaders as a, a top leadership coach. And how that came about was, again, following my curiosity and a little knowing that, wow, I'm, I love the impact I can make doing one-on-one leadership coaching. This is phenomenal. And to be able to impact people in this way, where, you know, I help unblock their challenges and give them tips and tools, I'm in. So again, following my intuition and what lit me up is what
0: has led me to this path. That's amazing. You know, it's so funny. I started as pre-med too. Get out. <laughs> yep. And then had my class that I could not get past was physics. I took it three times. I just couldn't, nothing, three, di- two different professors, three different times. And by the time I got through the third class, I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Yeah, <laughs> Quantum physics, on the other hand, makes complete sense to me, but like calculating how far a car is going to land. If you like push it off a building. It just wasn't for me. So I switched to communications and film and all of my extracurricular classes were in psychology. I was one credit hour away, not a whole class, just one credit hour away from getting a double minor in psychology. Mm. Um, But I loved kind of like you loved the connection between psychology and business. I love the connection between psychology and digital media and how that affects people and how that can, it was fascinating to me.
1: Yeah. Well, was that a hard pivot for you, I'm wondering, to go from pre-med to communication or was that just like, you know, I'm just doing it?
0: That was my full body, yes. So it kind of goes back a little bit further. When I was uh, a senior in high school, right before my senior year, I was in a really bad car accident and fractured my pelvis. And Mm -hmm. up until then I was a dancer. And so I couldn't teach dance anymore. I couldn't dance. Like I, I, I couldn't walk for about 12 weeks. And I had a, a teacher in high school kind of take me under her wing and she was a computer and like film teacher. And she taught me how to edit films. And then I ended up creating a film with Samsung Mobile Fresh Films and that won an award in LA. And I fell in love with like the whole post-production portion of film. And I went through my degree program and I uh, didn't end up moving to California to make films. It was just <laughs> too fickle of an industry for me. I didn't want to be in that field at all. Well, being I left- of writer's
1: strike, right? As, as we speak.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so it, it led me here. And then I wasn't supposed to be able to have kids at all. And then I was, I ended up pregnant with my son after I had decided to donate eggs to see like if I can't have kids then maybe I can help somebody else have a kid and yeah. right before I was supposed to go in for hormone treatments to start the, the cycle to donate the eggs I found out I was pregnant and so that kind of changed everything for me again and I didn't I didn't want somebody else to raise him while I was working so I stayed home and here's Ripley. <laughs> yeah well thank goodness for all of the different
1: ways that your you know path shifted because here you are and Ripley's. A, a obviously I love it it's a phenomenal <laughs> company I'm just okay so I know this is like you interviewing me but I just am very curious about those moments where there is big stuff that happens and for you it was that accident just mm-hmm. from what you're sharing like what I mean, do you recall what you were thinking and feeling in terms of like, I, I tend to make big meaning. Like when those things happen, I'm like, ah, oh, existential, like, what does this mean? And I don't know if you're, you
0: went there. Oh, I have, <laughs> I have many times. <laughs> <sense>. <laughs> uh, so I was actually clinically dead for a few minutes after that accident. So coming back, having the, uh, it's not an indie near death experience, whatever you call it. I've done a, a lot, dived in a lot to all kinds of research around that. <clears throat> but I had this whole question line of questioning for most of my life after that. Like, why am I still here? You know, what is my purpose? Why did I, I'm supposed to be here for a reason. What is that reason? And you talked about intuition when I asked you about your origin story. And a lot of it has been finding that intuitive part of me and being able to listen to it and then 10 years after that uh that accident i started having i guess you'd call them psychic experiences like i would have all kinds of things i've always been a vivid dreamer but i started having dreams that were not dreams and people were telling me their stories and asking for help through a dream state. And I would wake up, they would tell me certain information and I would be able to validate that information through research and validate their stories and different like symbols that they showed me through these, these dream states. And I reached out and found out that part of my bloodline, actually, there's been multiple generations of women in my bloodline with. The same type of experiences they present differently but the same type yeah. of experiences yeah so i started going to retreats which you and i have talked a little bit about yeah. Yeah. Uh, and found some mentors that would help that helped me in different areas of that and joe Dispenza, his work has been one of them that i absolutely love so that into intuitive part of us i feel like is so important and just like a muscle it can be strengthened And so a lot of my decisions that I make now are all based on intuitive information.
1: Yeah. I think what you've shared is so big because you know when we talk about present, it presents itself differently. It does. And my journey has been to get closer to that. And oddly enough, maybe not oddly, um, the pandemic really helped me hone in on that. Like I've had moments of clarity and moments of where I've deeply felt it intuitively. Like it's a... And because sometimes people ask, like, how do you know if it's anxiety or truth or, or, you know, intuition and all the ways that people ask? And I say, for me, it feels very grounded. It feels like a very assured groundedness, like just like a calm, but a calm voice. And I differentiate it with like, when it feels fast, like you have to act fast or it's um, what one would think of anxiety. That's not intuition for me. And I think that is a way to just help people understand that they've had those moments too, but but not, but, and for me, it requires quiet and stillness. It's like a deep, deep and funny enough, or may, maybe not funny, this month of July, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Sasha, like I felt in my bones need to get really quiet, like super quiet and still, which is. Has been me clearing my yeah I I read that book. Do
0: mm-hmm. you love I it? Love
1: <laughs> I love her. Susan Kane, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's been so true for me and the work that I do. I think when we talk about you know the why, maybe we talked about this, but that that is my why. Like I I'm in service of helping people undo all of the stuff that we've been told and learned throughout their life that gets them further away from intuition, and. You know, I put it in a way that's, quote unquote, a little bit more palatable to the women in corporate world that are wound up a little bit differently, Um, but they still need to tap into their intuition to make really good choices for themselves. And so, yeah, and I think the more that we can do that or the more that I can do that in service of like as many women as possible or as many leaders, because gosh, how many leaders are just toxic or, you know... um, so far away from their intuition and making just really poor decisions. I think that um, that's what I'm in service of.
0: That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And I'm a hundred percent in resonance with everything that you just said. And you said being still. So I'm going to ask you, have you heard this? Somebody told me this and it has been the most impactful statement for me for the past two years. And it's to be still But to understand that stillness is not static. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Took me a while. It took me a while to really trust that. Mm
0: Me too. I couldn't,
1: I couldn't understand it. I'm like, I don't get it. What are you even like talking about? How does that even make sense? You know, like all the ways that the brain tricks you and really analyzes things and overanalyzes. So yeah. And like I said, like I'm, you know, I'm 47. And my father was an ordained Buddhist monk. And so there is that spiritual piece.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, um, I don't practice formally as a Buddhist, but I'm deeply spiritual. And um, I do now actively believe that being still is where all the answers and all the work is happening. If you just like, let it be, let it be. I have this quote that I have on my laptop from Rumi, which says the quieter you become, the more you're able to hear.
0: Mm, I love Rumi so much. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This The whole premise behind being still took me a long time to understand. And it almost seemed counterintuitive because growing up, it was always, you know, weight is what broke the wagon down that was like the saying in the family like oh we always have to be doing something we always have to be doing something Oh, really? and great and yeah and I love my parents. I mean they my childhood was amazing so I'm not saying that but it was this little voice in my head that anytime I would sit down to do anything to read a book to meditate I'm like I feel like I should be doing something else. And then COVID hit. And I feel like this is a common thread through a lot of conversations I've had with people who have found their intuition or who have even started just diving into what that means is COVID really provided the perfect storm for people to be able to be still for a little bit and to be quiet with themselves for a little bit and to kind of break out of that noise. And now that we're going back into the rush of everything and things are busy and people are traveling again, like it's all great. But I was, uh, we went to Big Bend in Texas. I don't know, it's a national park down there. And it's one of the darkest places in the country. And I was sitting and I was like two o'clock in the morning and the stars were just, I mean, I hadn't seen anything like that in my entire life. And I was sitting out there and I was like, we're all creating now in a digital world and we're creating digital things and we're not creating anything with our hands anymore. And I feel like we're all just screaming, trying to get attention on social media and it's, it's fine. It is what it is, but I'm wondering how you feel. And I know you do keynotes and stuff, but I'm wondering how you feel because you have a fantastic social media presence, but mm-hmm. how do you, how do you rise above that? Mm-hmm. noise?
1: That is such a big um, and ever evolving question. And I absolutely agree with you about the pandemic doing that, especially, you know, for you and for me, too, I really embraced it. I mean, don't get me wrong, like there were moments when I was like, this is insane. I'm what's happening with the world more often than I'd like to admit, but um, it did bring my intuition forward. So I think that you know, I I look over here to my right because on my board, and I'm a very visual person, um, is the word authentic, and mm-hmm. along with what I'm in service of and how I'm best in service, I keep trying to root to that the authenticity. And for me in the social media world, that means I don't want to copy. And it's hard not to, because there's a lot of noise, a lot of noise on social media. And I've had to play with this, Sasha, and you may have had too, like if you have social media presence, like it's an iterative process, a lot of trial by fire. And I think a lot of us think that, oh, there's experts out there, but nobody really knows what they're doing. This is new frontier. Um, And so going back to the authentic piece, it's, I had to really root to like, what feels right for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and look for inspiration to create versus pushing it or copying what others are doing on social media. And that has meant that, okay, well, Instagram, let me play with that, let me make that my playground. Have fun with it. And not for the expectation of getting a million followers. That's yeah. never been my anchor. It's more like if people resonate with my message, cool. Let's grow it organically. And um keep to my message. And so that's been what it was for a year. And then having to scale a business meant that I had to actually hand it off to someone. And I know that I don't now have that much time to be in social media. So it's been like an evolution. But now the question is, how do I remain authentic through somebody that's helping me have presence on social media, right? So it starts to shift. And I am on LinkedIn is where I'm very, very active, and I've had to also have somebody else do the posting for me so that I can be the one that creates for my own authenticity, and then they can help me put it to words and post it. So it's been an evolution. And that's the way that I stay out of the noise. Sure, there's people that I admire for the work that they're doing, and they've become my mentors in real mm-hmm. life, actually. Um, but I've had to lessen my time and presence on the actual playing of and being online and doing scrolling because that's not good for me because it takes away from my creating and it takes away from the message that I want to put out there
0: that's authentic to me so does that answer that yeah it does it does I just I've been playing around with that um you know we used to go on the internet to escape from real life and now we're going into real life to escape from the internet it's just a flop Tell me about that. That's, I love that. I did too. I was something I read on Instagram and I immediately put my phone down and I'm like, I have to get off of my phone and go do something in the real world. And it just, it hit me so hard because I spend, you know, eight hours a day on a computer, sometimes hopefully less than that when I have my kids here with me, because they're constantly like, mom, when are you going to be off your computer? Are you done yet? Like to me or to them. I'm just sitting in front of a computer ignoring them and I'll get up to like make them food or play a quick game of we love, uh, bears and bees. I don't know if you've heard that. It's like a new card game. It's great. Cause one game only takes like 10 minutes and it's actually pretty fun for adults and kids. Um, <laughs> But I've been having to like adjust my schedule, especially during the summer, but it changes. It's not like one of those routines where I can be like, okay, during school, this is what I do. And during summer, this is what I do. Because as the kids get older, they're, I have we have a 10 and an eight-year-old, almost nine. And as they get older, they get busier or they want, you know, different types of attention. And part of my why was being able to be home with them and to spend time with them. And so it's this constant like tearing of You know, do I need to be on social media posting and doing all this stuff? Do I need to do this more in the morning? And I know you have kids too. And so Mm -hmm. just the whole premise of shifting and having somebody else post for you while still keeping that authenticity. And then the authenticity, you asked me earlier, if I like deep questions, the authenticity part of it goes even deeper for me because then it's like, well, how authentic are you going to be? right? Mm-hmm. Are you going to be authentic to your message, to your business that you're posting? Are you going to be fully authentic as yourself showing all of the parts of you, like the good, the bad, the ugly. And it, there's it's a decision for all of us because it's this personal brand that we're curating on social media and putting out yeah. to everybody else. But I feel like the true authenticity for me, at least is reserved for the circle of people that I hold. Tightest. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I resonate with that because um there were times when I experimented with like, okay, do I tell everyone everything? And I don't know that that I want to do that. Um I don't know that I use those platforms in that in that way anymore. So that's shifted too. And yeah, I mean I get that push and pull. Just going back to your comment about being a mom. Yes, you know, you have two, I have three, just whether you're a mom or not, it's like a really slippery slope, especially as an entrepreneur. um, Because if you love your work, you can go all the time. And for me, I've had to manage that where it's like, I say, I have the, and maybe this is true for you too, Sasha, but I feel blessed and so lucky to do what I do. And I'm, I love it. And so I have to reel myself back at times to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But my now, 13 year old and 12 year old just turned 12. My nine year old, he just turned nine. So I've had all these, like my kids have had birthdays over the summer. So as they age, I'm like, wait, 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 I get, you know, the days might seem long, but the years are short. And that one hit me because I'm like, what am I doing this? Like, yes, I have a why to how I want to serve the world broadly, but like my kids, you know, I, they're only gonna be here for a certain amount of time. And I firmly believe in this whole, like, you know, our kids are on loan to us. And while they're with us, do the best that you can to value, give them values and make them feel seen, heard, and valued and all the things. But at the end of the day, it's the experiences you have with them and the ways that you show up for them. So it's it's never you know it it is a push and pull and I'm doing this to my like head because it's like
0: my hands I feel, to my feel it too
1: <laughs> yeah I do all the time it's um I think that that is what comes with being a mom mm-hmm. especially but- in this very pervasive tech and more growing like
0: into our lives world yeah and now we have AI too which is a whole other conversation. <laughs> Yeah, and the goggles from Apple. Yeah. Are you getting some? No. Yeah, I'm not either. No. My husband got the PlayStation VR set, uh-huh. and uh, I can hardly even wear that. It makes me nauseous to wear it.
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, just as a side note, it seems like it's pretty, like, it. it if you wear the apple one not that i'm endorsing any product but it feels like it would be much it feels immersive anyway aside from that i'm trying to go away from it and i've you know i've done the best i could with like keeping my kids at bay they're not on social media but um the pandemic has had shifted things for my kids where again for most parents i'm like i can't be with them I help them do the schooling piece online, but then they're you know playing games to just as I work. Yeah. So they were and are on games a little more than they ever were before pandemic, um, because they didn't at all. They weren't on it at all, and so I've had to shift a little bit and be like, okay, what am I comfortable with as a mom, and what's actually you know helps them connect when they're not able to with their friends. So had having to navigate all that
0: was really challenging. Yeah, and then you have the mom guilt about screen time and I still oh, yeah. struggle with that. Like <laughs> mine's in there playing games right now. So I'm like I need some quiet time. <laughs> but this summer, this summer we've actually set um time limits for screen time. And then if they want more they have yeah. to read so many chapters of the book or they have to write a letter like they have to do something create something do art before they get more time so that's balanced it out for for us a little bit but it's no I
1: love that because I do the same except mine do chores I'm like okay can you like you guys can do the dishes they they have to earn time so um that alleviates some of the guilt but yeah it's still there
0: <laughs> <laughs> and your book cuz you wrote a book kind of about this too, right? Mommy Tract. I did. I did. That
1: was published in 2020 and I'm working on my second book. Um the publishing date is TBD, but yeah, Mommy Tract was birthed out of my lived experience is what I say, which is um, trying to find my definition of success in a world that was telling me what success should be and what it looked like. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to our earlier conversation of like your intuition. And that might mean, Hey, I've been on this corporate track for a really long time and I equated success to promotions and title and corner office and big pay. And I got all that. And I was, I was also very much in, out of alignment. I was very much like exhausted. I was very much questioning why I was coming to, you know, even though I love my colleagues, like, what was I doing? The bigger why? Um. So it was my um take on helping women really to find success for themselves. Um, and again, that goes into like reflecting and asking yourself some questions that might be really scary and um still doable if you want to really be fulfilled and authentic and integrated. So that's what the book is. It's like having a little guide in, in a book and it's also an uh on audible so people can stop at certain points and have a lot of reflection questions for them and things for them to action on if they want to. Um, and it's a way to really just help people undo all of the things that we've been taught are shoulds or what
0: success looks like. And the core beliefs too. I feel like that's been a big part of reconnecting with intuition is not only naming and recognizing and bringing awareness to the core beliefs that we hold or the core beliefs that have been passed down to us generationally, mm-hmm. but then reflecting on them and changing them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, how, like, how has that shifted for you? I'm curious.
0: Oh, man. I feel like there was a time probably around COVID where I decided to strip down everything I believed. Just question mm, everything. That's radical. It was. It was. I made a big, big change. I was living by myself, um, which was fantastic. something I was always really scared to do. I always had a roommate or a partner or you know something, and I got my own place. Um, I was about a year and a half into having my own place, and I was the first time that I realized how much I loved my own time, my own space, Mm -hmm. being able to leave and come back, and like everything was exactly how I left it. Mm -hmm. Um, I decided to get off of all I was. I was on. Adderall, so ADHD medication and anti-anxiety medication, and it helps me be really productive. But it really shut me off, like it kept me from the shoulders up, like I was so in my head all the time. I couldn't Mm -hmm. connect with my body, and I decided I didn't want to be dependent on anything. And I think that came from the whole COVID era. Um, I didn't want to have to go to the doctor for medication or whatever else, and so I weaned myself off of. Both the medications, I decided that radical honesty was going to be the way that I was going to live. Um, There was a lot of stuff I had dealt with in my teenage years and things like that where I wasn't honest with myself and I don't feel like anybody else was honest with me. And so there was this really like convoluted relationship I had with the truth. And I started looking into all kinds of philosophical research about truth and how perspectives you can have, two people can have completely different perspectives, but they can both be true, right, so the truth itself was a very gray area, but if you could look at all of the perspectives of the shadows on a shape, however you want to define that, um, that's where you could find the whole truth, and then I started applying that to spirituality and religions and I was having visions at the time. It was also like one of my first visions I ever had when I was alone by myself was like Babylon coming back together. And my Mm -hmm. understanding of that was, you know, the truth, there's pieces of the truth hidden in every one of the organized religions. And to get the entire truth for me anyways, was to look at all of them. So I started diving into all different belief systems. I looked at what felt right for me, like what that feel that yes in your body feels like that grounded like knowing and I just started reading a ton and basically let go of everything I had been told or subscribed to as a as a belief and then I started rebuilding the blockchain I guess of of what I considered my truth to be and I'm still doing it like it's still it's still a, a very much an everyday process just like emotional healing or healing traumas I feel like they come back around sometimes you feel like you've healed the trigger and it will come back and it will trigger you again and you'll have this oh does it ever yeah and you'll have that same autonomic r- response with your nervous system and you're like why is this happening again um, and I think it's just really calling our attention to going back to that trigger and deciding what beliefs we had Surrounding that specific situation and seeing if we can either expand that belief or question it or break it down or whatever we need to do. And oh
1: gosh, Sasha, how have you not written a book? (laughs)
0: Um, I've started a couple. I just need to finish them. (laughs) You
1: need to put it out there in the world. We so need to hear your your journey and your message. I mean, uh, so many questions for you. And the first one is like, as you, question those things like I imagine that are you doing it by yourself or through reflection or how how is that questioning and uh, dismantling happening
0: oh well (laughs) through all types of modalities um it's having conversations like this one I, I mean I'll take things that we talk about today and apply them and break down what I believe and see how I can change that it's following some people on social media, just seeing what their perspectives are. I follow a lot like Dr. Becky. um, She talks about child psychology. I follow her a lot. Uh, Reading books, listening to, I love Gaia, which that channel, I don't know if you've heard about Gaia, Mm -hmm. but I like to pick and choose kind of what feels right for me. I don't feel like everything on there is complete truth, but I'll listen to... Even stories about like ancient Egypt or the Rewired series from Joe Dispenza really opened my eyes about science and mysticism and how the two were connected. Um, I'll watch presentations from like the 80s from people who have passed away but have books uh, with Dolores Cannon. And it's not that I'm subscribing to any one of their belief systems. I'm just listening, trying to get So we can see, our brains can see three perspectives of whatever we're looking at. So if we're trying to make a decision, we can see three options, when in actuality, there's 12. And so I'm just searching for all 12 perspectives on anything, and then kind of piecing together what feels true in my body. And I really encourage everybody... To do this if they have any questioning not to take just one person's opinion or research but like go do the research yourself you know it's not what I'm saying may not be true for somebody else but I feel like there's a foundational part of everything that we're consuming that is very overlapped and the parts that are overlapped are the ones that I pay attention to it's the parallels and yeah. all of the perspectives that I pay attention to the conversations with um i've been learning a lot about the hebrew language and Mm -hmm. the truth of that and how it's been translated so many times like into the bible and how there's so many overlaps between judaism and christianity and how there's overlaps from buddhism and how there's overlaps from other religions and that's that's what i pay attention to and even the word for uh, god in hebrew if you look at the the letters Every letter, what I love about the Hebrew language is every letter is a word and a number. And so like the word in Hebrew for uh, mother and father numerically equals the, the number for the word uh, child. And then if you add all of those together, it equals the, the numerical value of the word family.
1: Ooh, that gave me chills.
0: Yeah. And so there's a meditation, the letters, if you look at them, it's like um there's three letters and the ones on the outside both mean breath and then the one on the inside actually looks like a man walking so it's like a person walking in between breaths and it's there's so it's so deep it's so deep and it's so rich and there's such a truth to it and so right now that's my my fascination is is learning how do you know in your body what signals to you that it's true for you Mm, chills it's like a very grounded and I get chills like all over my body yeah how about you I know you talked about like the grounding part
1: but yeah for me it's just like a it like comes to me as like a yes like it's like I can't like look away type of thing like not necessarily be chills but it's more like oh yeah um yeah I just the other part of that too is around um, spirituality and science which is fascinating because I do think that both have been taught to us that they can't coexist but they absolutely do and it's the most powerful when they can play on top of each other or just be integrated Um, and I think in our modern world it's like if you're if you believe science there's no room for intuition or Mm -hmm. what was known as mysticism or all that and um i'm hopeful that there's like a reintegration of that the more people i talk to who either call it intuition or whatever you want to call it i feel like there's more of a curiosity to really kind of like unpack that that is that really true and find your own truth and what, what that looks like and I don't know. I, I, as I mentioned, my father was a Buddha, ordained Buddhist monk. And yeah. why that resonates with me more than any, because I've, you know, gone to church at times. And I think for me, it is this foundation of Buddhism, which has the whole go test it out for yourself. Like you don't have to believe what I say, try it out. And if, you feel that that resonates or is, you know, giving you chills or feels right or whatever the word is, then do that. And I, and I love that I'm I'll oversimplifying it, but I love that premise about Buddhism, which I'm like, yeah, I want to, I, I tend to be a, I want to try it out and see what works type of person. Mm-hmm. I'm not, um, a overthinker in the sense of like, I'm just going to think about it for years. I used to do that earlier on and and it's gotten, less and less in terms of overthinking things because of all the stuff that I've experienced in my life. But, um, I want to try it, do it, iterate and move on. And sometimes that's like, you, you know, in personal relationships, that's like, that's like heartbreak. That's, you know, grief, that's joy. It's all of that. But I, I'm like a fully in the experience person. And then let me adjust as I go versus being distant from
0: it. Taking something at face value. Mm-hmm. So how does that play out when you are with your clients and coaching? As you said, you like to bring in intuition and help them ground, but maybe do it in a way that's packaged a little bit more corporate just for understanding. And I feel like that's a, like I said, a very common thread for a lot of these methodologies that are out there right now that are really getting integrated into corporate life, which I think is fantastic. However, however we can help, I think is fantastic. But I'm curious when you're working with your clients or you're giving keynotes, how do you approach that specifically with people?
1: Well, one-on-one it's really being able to quiet whatever's going on for me. And I'm very, very present for like, if you and I were coaching and sitting together, the person can come and say, oh, I'm great and I'm fine but really like being able to know that underneath there's something brewing. And I think that that's a part of the gift that I bring into my coaching engagements is this kind of intuition of like, I think there might be more there. And sometimes for me, I've had times where I'm like, whoa, 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 I'm feeling a deep sadness. Is that mine or is that my client's? Mm -hmm. And being able to parse that out and get curious about it rather than getting wrapped up into it as a coach and being able to, put language to it or ask questions that might unsurface that for them in the moment. Because I think the most powerful coaching sessions are ones in which we look at what's pressing currently, Mm -hmm. because a lot of my clients bring in this stuff, but they want to talk about, oh, the goal or, or that happened weeks ago. And we can touch on that. I go organically where the energy is, but let's also unpack what's present for you now, which means I tap into my intuition to know that there's something underneath there. Um, And so as much as the client is willing to go, we go. And I think those are some of the times where they have the biggest breakthroughs and moments of like, whoa, what is that? You know, How do I need to reflect on that? What, What do I need to do next based on that, if anything? So it's creating the container for them to be safe in doing that and trusting me in the questions that I ask and supporting them or perhaps even challenging them. If there's a consistent theme that they're not aware of. You talked about body um mirroring or uh, body doubling. Body doubling. Mm-hmm. For me in the coaching space, it's called mirroring. And sometimes that's like showing them, hey, you know, there's been a consistent theme of X, Y, or Z, or mirroring the kind of theme that, that keeps coming up for them. So yeah. yeah. In the one-on-one setting, that's how it is. And when I keynote and do those things, it's less, right. Cause you have large groups of people and really they hire me to inspire folks and bring about my message. So it's me collecting my energy and understanding who, who is the, who's the group? What are they in service of? How are they, you know, doing their work and what, how am I going to share my story that resonates with them? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's all of those things.
0: Do you ever experience, um, just what you said from individual coaching, it seems that you are an intuitive coach as well, and very much an empath, Mm -hmm. um, when you're on stage though, how do you manage the energy of the room? Do you use certain tools to kind of keep your boundaries tight? So you're not taking in everybody's energy in the room. Do you leave, exhausted do you have self-care stuff afterwards how do you oh my
1: gosh yes 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 <laughs> So i've had to refine this sasha um so i have a business coach because uh, i'm a firm believer like i need to learn the tools and keep evolving and growing my skill set too and she's been um an angel with me as each keynote that i do she and i get on the phone whether it's an hour before or 30 minutes before however the time zones work out so that I can um, get my mindset right. And I believe so firmly in this whole mindset thing around, you know, how, again, what's what you and I talked about is like perspectives and how you frame things and the stories that you tell yourself, right? That's in essence, bubbling up what mindset is. So um, I work with her to get my mindset right. And then before the event, I always work out in the morning to make sure that I get my energy, um, and my body moving. And I meditate those two things, those three things are the core staples of my speaking routine self care. And then afterwards, I'll just, you know, unwind in the way that I need to, which is like, I need to be either nourishing myself eating, or I just need to like, wind down. So those are the things I've learned about myself that I am absolutely extroverted when I need to be and I've become an expert in that and I'm also deeply introverted like now like when I, I need to honor that too and mostly I live in an ambivert space where I'm, I'm either you know extroverted or introverted
0: and go in between that's awesome a lot of people can't do that well and I think it's I think it's almost a superpower to be able to move in between those spaces and be able to be present and connect and be empathetic and be intuitive with somebody one-on-one and then to be able to go into a room full of people and be able to not take on or not let all of that energy kind of soak into you so that's that's amazing you should write a book about that too
1: (laughs) I, i actually should maybe that's my third book thank you for the idea sasha because I do think that's my superpower and like to have longevity in any business, right? You got to know what that is and protect it, I think. Yeah. So you're right. I've honed it over the years and I've been doing this for, I don't know, over 20 years, right? Like in one form or another. So I'm. it's been a long road. And I think that's funny because there's a concept from Malcolm Gladwell on 10,000. He talks about 10,000 hours to expertise and mm. it's such a... I don't know what the word is, but it's like such a disservice when people that are up and coming in any business go like, tell me, how'd you do it? Give me the thing now, like give it to me in a button, give it to me in an Instagram tweet or whatever, you know? Yeah.
0: They're like, what are your three keys to success? It's like asking somebody what their favorite song is. Like you can't ask me what my favorite song is maybe this week, but (laughs) it's too hard. (laughs) hard it's like too many options I don't know <laughs> yeah and I feel like it depends on you know specific situations and especially music it depends on you know mood and what you're feeling and you know maybe I want to listen to something really soft and etherical or maybe I want classical today or maybe I want metal I mean it just depends on the day yeah
1: well how do you self-care because I know
0: you're definitely an empath I am an empath. Um, (laughs) the first time I realized I was an empath, somebody told me because I was in an airport and it was the first time I had ever had a panic attack. Mm. I had never, I mean, I have flight attendants and pilots and all kinds of stuff in my family. I've been flying since I was before I could walk and all of a sudden couldn't do it. And I was told they're like, you're absorbing everybody else's energy in the airport it's not your fear it's not your anxiety and as soon as I started learning how to place boundaries for myself energetically it was a lot better um but your question was about self-care I have No, well, I think the
1: boundaries thing is we need to talk about that one too
0: and then okay <laughs> <self-care>. <laughs> boundaries is part of self-care for sure yes. um meditation daily and I can always tell when I skip a day, it, it definitely makes a big difference. Um, I journal, I have crystals all over my house that I like to ground with. Um, walks, we love going on walks. I play tennis with my husband and it's not, I'm not ready for Wimbledon or anything. We like play ping pong rules, but on a tennis court and it's really fun. We just make our own rules. Um, No, it's great. I love to read. It really depends on what I'm feeling. And intuitively, I kind of have built this toolbox of self-care tools that I'll go to and just kind of pick out what I need, whether it's a bubble bath or a massage or quiet time or time with the kids. Um, But the Energetic Boundaries is a big one. And I think a lot of that, Knowledge came from Joe Dispenza, and then also my mentors and teaching me how to meditate and bring awareness to my nervous system. Also, the book "Love What Arises" or "Love Love What" I think that's what it's called. Love What Arises. Matt Kahn is the author, mm-hmm. um, and he really goes into what happens in our nervous system whenever we are experiencing like intuitive downloads from the universe when like messages are trying to come in or knowledge or information is coming to us from the field. To me, when I first started experiencing that, it was in Costa Rica at a retreat and I went from zero to 100. I thought I was mad. It felt like anger in my body, mm. but I had no trick. I'm like, I shouldn't be mad. I'm in the middle of a beautiful jungle with people that are, you know, fantastic. And we're listening to music and we're eating good food. Like I had at a beach, I have no reason to be angry, but I couldn't shake it. And it felt like anger to me. And so reading that book was super helpful to not only correctly be able to identify what emotions were happening in my body, but also to know what it feels like when my nervous system was being expanded, but I wasn't able to extend my energy field to be able to hold whatever was happening. Um, Meditation really helped with that, especially doing body scans at night um, or in the morning, being able to tap into different energy centers in my body, and then being able to take the energy that I felt inside of my body and basically push it out like it was a bubble around my physical body. And then holding mm-hmm. that bubble when I go into situations where I'm around a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it takes practice, just like working out, it was a muscle that I had to build and it's it's an awareness thing. Like if I can be aware that I'm feeling somebody else's emotions, then it helps me to separate them and to just kind of focus on my own. Questioning like you said asking when you were in your one-on-one sessions asking like is this mine was also a good one yeah being able to separate it like that yeah
1: because for me like it became really clear when and then just in not only do I get coached but I've done therapy my most of my adult life and would like your take on that too but um she helped me really differentiate different energies and that that you know for example When I would be fine and feeling light and, you know, what uh, people call happy before going into a session with my client and then feeling just all uh, like an overwhelming sadness in my chest, I'm like, whoa, internally, I'm like, wait, that's not mine. Let me get curious here rather than expel it or get like wrapped up into it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I learned the tool of just getting curious which meant like okay let me just see well, let me ask questions and see if that is what they are feeling um and help them unblock that so that was like a really um visceral feeling for me um and then yeah I've had those moments in my body as well where I'm like whoa something's happening um and Relearning lessons like recently I really I was like universe like seriously I mean it was huge lesson on boundaries boundaries and the need to be very intentional about my boundaries
0: so I feel like that's one that comes up a lot for me too. I'm wondering, I'm curious. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? I think
1: it's most in, well, I've had to play with this in my work life too, right? It's like I'm constantly looking at how I can best manage my boundaries around my work life. Like, how do I, um, what, how do I start my Monday? So I finally am now like really structured about how I spend my Monday, so that I'm best in service the rest of the week. So that's boundaries of like not having client or. Um, coaching sessions on Mondays, that type of stuff. So, my work thing, I think I have that down um, way better than I used to. And it's still a pr- big work in progress in my personal life. Um, less so with my kids, but just the people like my girlfriends or partners, or, you know, I'm divorced now. So, like navigating that world of post divorce and relationships and boundaries there have, it's been a very, Sometimes easy, sometimes harder lesson. And this past one has been a very hard lesson to learn, but a very important one.
0: Mm. Yeah. Sorry, it's been not easy for you. Um, but I feel like sometimes those make us more appreciative later too. I co-parent as well. Um, Sorry, I'm remarried, but I we have two co-parents. So I have one and my husband has one. And navigating those relationships can absolutely come with all kinds of ups and downs. Mm -hmm. I definitely, um, I'm definitely with you there. I will tell you, as far as boundaries with personal life, for me, in my experience, it's being okay, like finding consistency and inconsistency. Mm. That's beautiful. And picking, like I said, having that toolbox of things where you can go to it. I actually like anchoring different, uh, tools, like not physical tools with physical things. So Mm -hmm. when I come up with something that works, like if I have a schedule change and I need to change something with my co-parent or my co-parent has a schedule change, we immediately call each other, like we're its first right of refusal, right? So like if he has a schedule change, he calls and he's like, hey, I've got this coming come up. Can you take him to his hair appointment or whatever it is? And I'll look at my calendar and be like, yeah, absolutely I can. If not, then he goes to like a grandmother or you know, a ne- the next family member. But I'll anchor things when I find them, whether it's a crystal or a bracelet or a necklace, like it can be something super simple, a piece of paper penny I'll put them in a physical toolbox so if I need like I can't think or I'm having a block and I'm like oh, what am I supposed to do right now I'll go sit in front of that toolbox or box full of little trinkets and I'll be like oh I can do that this worked last time or I can do this so it's not necessarily has to be a structured I have to stick to this rigorous thing every day it's more of a it's it's finding consistency and incons- inconsistency yeah, so
1: one of the thing I love what you said there because that's absolutely true when you co-parent. Um, we kind of have a similar setup where we're flexible in a contained way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so like you know, can you take so and so this weekend? Even though we had it unscheduled or what have you. So being flexible in that way, and the and the um things that help me. This is a muscle I've had to really honor for myself is that I can say I need time that goes for my personal life um but also my work life where there is this part of me because I I am people oriented I want to deliver and sometimes that looks like overworking or in the earlier years of my life would be perfectionism and all the different things that you want to call it but that's how it would that's how it played itself out and now you know being on this side of the business Years and also with my, just how I want to make decisions is to be able to confidently say, well, actually, give me time. Like, let me have a minute. Or I don't. In my head, I'll tell myself I don't have to answer that now. If my um, a potential client's like, well, what's the how much will it cost type of thing, I could say, well, you know, let me get back to you. Or what's your budget? Rather than wanting to please and like say a, you know, say something out of a reactivity that isn't grounded in um, just authentic. Uh, strategic thinking type of thing so or feeling so I've really really been leaning into that especially now in the past two years where I'm like it just give me time time is how I process and how I integrate and that also means that I have to clear my calendar a lot and learn continuously to say no to things when I also get lit up by a lot of things and want to do a lot So it's like this push and pull and some days I'm better at it than not. And I think a lot of us struggle with that. For me, it's like, give me time. I don't have to respond right now. And moving away from reactivity to more of a
0: a grounded response. That's beautiful. It really sounds like you're basking in feminine energy because it's that masculine energy that's like, oh, we have to do, we have to go, we have to, like, it's that fast paced, always having to do stuff. And it's, the isn't feminine. it? Mm-hmm. and the feminine energy is where we're just like, ah, okay, we let things come to us. We're quiet. We're still, but not static. We're okay with saying no, we're okay with like taking time to answer. And I think that's a huge movement into what's coming into everyone's fields right now is like the power of slow business and the power of slow creation. And it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be long and drawn out and not get done, but we're, we're really stepping out of being in the masculine energy all the time.
1: Yeah. I was talking to, um, a, a male friend yesterday and he was saying how it's like, man, you know, we just have so much work to do men, uh, mankind in terms of being more in touch with their, um. Just their intuition and he was saying that he alluding to my decision early on we were talking exactly about my origin story of my career he was like man you knew back then that you didn't want to do clinical psychology and this was I was like yeah i was following my intuition um that was the first instance of really having it come out really strongly and he's like you know men we just need to we need to learn how to do that more because he called himself a late bloomer and i'm like at least you're doing it now, you know? And I do agree there needs to be that men, it's time for them to evolve as well.
0: I think so too. And it feels good to just be able to like breathe and do something at the same time, you know? You don't feel like you just have to be on autopilot doing things and getting it done just to get it done. It's exhausting. I think men the ones that I've seen be able to step into their highest selves, their fully aligned lives. Like not only are they happier, not only are they happier in their relationships with themselves, but they're more successful in what they're doing too. Cause they're able to lead in a different way. And I think it's, I don't know. I think it's fascinating to watch what's happening. And I don't think there is anything Like a late bloomer when it comes to finding and connecting with your intuition i think that's part of the reason like what we're here to learn and why you know they say we have five senses and there's this sixth sense that we've all been talking about and i think it's a real thing i think it's being able to connect to others through energetic fields and frequencies using the sensations that we feel in our bodies and it's fascinating Oh gosh, it's absolutely in my world view. It absolutely we're all
1: energy, right? Isn't that what quantum physics is talking about? And I find that super fascinating. So I tested that out just inadvertently, maybe last weekend. I think this might've been before we talked. Did I tell you I went to the silent retreat?
0: No, you didn't. How was that? Yeah. So I
1: scheduled this in January. Cause I'm like, I'm fascinated. I want to do a silent retreat and it was put on by my um, dear friends. So as life has it, you know, I had to postpone twice and they were so generous with me. The third time I was like, I swear I'll make it will be in July as the universe does. Right. It's like when I felt the deep need to like go inward is when the I pushed it out to just happens that way. Wow. So, uh, see, I got chills. That's awesome. I'm telling you, I got <laughs> chills when I said that too. It's um I maybe me feeling your chills. I don't know. But um it was last Saturday and it was held in Malibu. And it was the first time I think I could recall ever turning off my phone intentionally, because I don't think I've done that since having kids. And my oldest is 13, right? So in that many years, I hadn't turned off my phone from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Wow. It was the most groundbreaking experience for me in like the this year, because I have a lot of great experiences, but like to be able to shut it off and to be completely like I had Sasha, no desire to talk to anyone. I was welcoming it. I was like, let me be silent. We did breath work, too. We did lots of meditations and chantings that all was a part of the experience. But one of the things getting to the feeling of the energy is eating. You can choose to eat in silence. And I was like, yes, I'm all about that. So I go and I sit at a table and, you know, it. there were people there sitting, we were all in silence. And I couldn't really feel their energy so much. There were females. And then a male came in and sat and I felt the energy very much so viscerally. Yeah. And I found that fascinating. I don't know what to make of it other than to say, maybe he had just strong energy happening. But to be able to feel that in my body really just solidified for me that we are walking around with energy. Some of us are a little bit more cleaner. I don't know the right words, but like processed maybe than others. Um, and so I think it, this definitely is a start of many more silent retreats for me.
0: I want to go to a silent retreat. That sounds awesome. In fact, all at the same time.
1: I will send you the info if you're ever in California.
0: <laughs> yeah, please do. All right. That sounds fascinating. Have you heard of the dark darkness retreats? That like takes it a whole step. I haven't been to one, but I've heard more and more people are doing them. You go into darkness for however many days and there's I mean, not even candlelight and they'll like bring food twice a day for you and you have to eat in darkness. I mean, the stories that people are telling about. And then coming out and like seeing light after being in there for, I think it's five days. And people are like visions because there's all kinds of biological things that are happening that your brain will release certain chemicals that will make you see. And we have in our third eye, so the energy center right between our eyebrows and our forehead, there's a gland in our brain that has um, the same tissues as our eyes. And so there's actually, it's, it's all connected. Like when you really into it, it is all connected. And then there's science and research behind people teaching children and adults. So they'll put blindfolds on them and Mm -hmm. they'll hold up flashcards or things. And they'll be able to see it's another muscle that you can train and they'll be able to see what's in front of them. There are people that have been blind that went through this training and now they can read menus without using their actual eyesight. Yeah. Yeah. And this Or is not our body doing the braille. And not do the braille. They can read it just like they would if they had their eyesight. Oh my goodness! I- it's called Superhuman. There's a whole documentary on it called Superhuman. It's okay. Crazy. It's crazy. And back to the frequencies. Have you looked into cymatics? No. Oh, okay. I have to send you links on this too. I'll put it in the show notes for anybody who's interested as well. But just... It, As another building block onto the frequency part there um, there's a science called cymatics where they can hook up a plate, a metal plate to a speaker. Mm -hmm. And there's like home kits you can get to and you put sand or salt or rice or something on this metal plate and then you play the frequency the music through it and it will move the the vibrations of the sound will move the particles on the plate into like geometrical shapes like pristine complicated complex geometrical shapes and they're all in sacred geometry which is also fascinating to me and then the same thing with water molecules if you look at a molecule of water that you've either spoken gratitude towards or it's been like it has from a from a river so it's flowing naturally like it's supposed to the molecules will have geometrical shapes and then if you take water out of a pipe that's gone through all of these right angle pipes and like city water systems they'll be all crazy like they will be not geometrical shapes but then you can if you boil the water or if you they've done studies where they speak gratitude or speak affirmations to the water it will change the molecular makeup of the water molecules
1: Oh my gosh, I love it. This stuff is like I can geek out on this stuff like you. I'm like, ah
0: <laughs> me too. <laughs> it's oh I could spend all day studying this. So yeah, everything is frequency. hmm Absolutely. I, I I do believe that too. And going back to our social media, I feel like even the frequency and the authenticity that full circle moment right here. I feel like as long as you're putting out the frequency that you want and resonates with you, then whatever you're trying to attract will come back to you. Yeah.
1: I think that and um holding things loosely has been a theme for me where being a recovering, you know, uh perfectionist driving whatever you want to term it but like I got it I'm very uber focused gotta get the goals blah, 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 has been a work in progress for me to hold things lightly to let go of expectations and in and be joy. um that's been the funnest part about this experience of entrepreneurship honestly it's when people really, you know, look at it, they, or think about it, it's fear that comes more present, like first and foremost, because I, you know, probably for you too, Sasha, like I get hit up all the time about tell me about your story and how can I do what you do? And I'll give me coffee and let's do all the things. And the, I do less and less of those now, because again, my time protecting my time. Um, I think the entrepreneurship, whatever, however you define success, it's, for me, my definition of success is, can I impact and inspire people for the better? And for now, that's through coaching and through the book and all the speaking. And um, can I also be in joy as I do that, which means letting go of expectations. And that's really hard for this woman who's anchored in, I gotta get the stars and you know the validations and stuff that as humans, many of us need. So, but I, I embrace the journey. I mean, I have to remind myself that when I get impatient with whatever it is I'm trying to do, it's like, it's okay. I've been at it. You know, I trust myself more and more as I go through this journey and I'm just learning to have some
0: fun. That's the best. That's the best. And I feel like what you said, you hit the nail on the head with letting go of expectations because expectations sets you up for either a limited experience or disappointment. And if you can let those expectations go, that's where the magic happens.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yes. And I want to live in that. <laughs> oh, I do too. Every day. Every day and I think it gives room for you know talking about setting up containers and things like that If you set up containers for safety but without expectations you allow people to show up as their full selves right
1: yep and that is what I'm in service of yep incredible oh
0: this has been such a great conversation I know we could probably keep going all day I know (laughs) (laughs) my stomach's growing I'm Hungry, I feel processed.
1: Speaking <laughs> of like knowing what our bodies are saying, it's saying I'm hungry, feed me.
0: <laughs> okay, well, tell me one more thing and then absolutely go feed your body. Yes. Um, you do a lot, Sohi, and I'm so impressed by you. Oh. Just your work, how you're showing up in the world, what you're in service to, how you're helping women, and how you're helping leaders. But I wanna know what is the favorite, like your favorite part about what you do?
1: My favorite part is this, it's connecting to humanity, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's knowing that we're all deeply flawed and we're all
0: trying to figure it out. I love that. Yeah. I love that, thank you so much everything today for the conversation where can our listeners find you they can find me on my website
1: um and i'm sure you'll put this in the notes everywhere they can contact me and also i'm, I'm active on linkedin but now they know it's like not me posting it <laughs> 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 it's my content i swear
0: <laughs> okay what about the dms on linkedin are you active in those
1: I'm not, um, I don't go down that rabbit hole, but so emailing me through my website
0: is the best. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you again. And I hope we can do this again soon. Tasha, it's been an honor. Thank you. Thanks, he. If you're interested in learning more about Rivley and our services, you can head over to our website at Rivly.com where a clear brain equals better you and a balanced tomorrow. Rivly virtual assistants are focused on your work-life wellness. Self-care is important and it's overlooked all too often. Our mission is to take things off your plate, allowing you time to recharge, refocus, and put your energy towards the things that matter most to you.